0: How many of you, how many of you are planners? How many of you guys are planners? All right, number of you. So you know, unfortunately through experience, that the plans you make, as detailed as they might be, mean very little, right, without the ability to execute them, the people, the resources, the power to actually do what you need to do. The following I'm going to mention are some pretty good plans that have personally failed in my life. All right, here's a few of them. A red rider wagon that I uh, purchased for my oldest son. We purchased for our oldest son. I read the manual, laid out all the parts and the pieces in order of assembly, laid it all out on the carpet, read all the instructions, was ready to go, but the package was missing the tool necessary for assembly. And so it just sat there for days on end. Uh, not too long after Hurricane Katrina devastated the U.S. city of, of New Orleans, uh, myself with a church group went down to that city, helped a person rebuild their front porch. And so the, the night before, we laid out all the plans for how we were going to do that. I mostly listened because I have not a handy bone in me. And that morning we got there early. We laid out the 2 by 4s the 4 by 8s Uh, The the table saws, the circular saws, the rip saws. And soon after plugging those saws in, we realized the power was out for the entire city block. No electricity. And so our wonderful plans, all for naught. Great plans, no power. Got a membership to a gym that included a free personal trainer for two weeks. He explained and set up this this revolutionary plan to sculpt my body, which included... uh, Make a lot of jokes on that one, but I included a uh, leg pressing 400 pounds, uh, bench pressing 150 pounds. Great plan, but after a few times, I just went and played basketball. Uh, I had not the strength to execute the plan he laid out before me. Not surprisingly, so in his letter to the Church of Ephesus, the Apostle Paul has twice laid out plans. They are wonderful plans. Really the same plan from two different perspectives. In chapter one of Ephesians, Paul lays out God's rescue plan from what I would call heaven cam. From God's perspective, the mystery of adoption, of redemption, the Holy Spirit's sealing and assuring us of our salvation. And what that looks like from God's perspective. In chapter two, Paul lays out God's rescue plan from earth cam, if you will. From our perspective, we experience God on the ground level and him changing our life as we can see it. God lays out that plan too. And in both cases, Paul knows that these plans are only that. They're just plans and less backed by the power of God and divine strength working in us to align ourselves with those plans. So after laying out God's rescue plan, chapter one, he prays for power and insights so the church will grasp, will actually reach out and grasp God's plan. In chapter 2, after laying out God's gracious plan to turn our lives from slavery to sin and Satan to a life of free forgiveness and wanting, because of what God has done for us, to do good works, of of beginning to relate to different people than us, people we wouldn't relate with otherwise because now Jesus is the strongest bond in our relationship. So repenting from prejudice so we might relate with people different than us. And so that's the way God builds his church with unlikely friends. And this is a wonderful rescue and building plan for God and his church. But after laying out this plan, Paul knows what we've known. He feels what we've felt. And that is sometimes after church on a Sunday morning, that writing, that preaching, that teaching is only just Talk. We felt that before, haven't we? It's only just talk without God's intervening strength in our lives to participate in his plan, to actually move, to step out for our hearts to change. And so again, after laying out this plan, Paul prays. He preaches and then he prays. It's an entirely sensible plan, really. And yet, so easy for any church, including ours, to miss. Think about it. Three weeks ago, preached on relating to people different than you. Two weeks ago, acknowledging and then repenting of of prejudice of of all different kinds that might still lurk in our hearts. Last week, preaching on, reaching out to our neighbor about God's rescue plan. And then we all went out and we lived it out, didn't we, in our lives, We all participated and responded, and we're still responding, aren't we? We're still relating to people far different than us. No prejudice in our hearts. We we shared with people this week the good news about Jesus, right? (laughs) Maybe. We need prayer. We need power to actually reach out and, and, and do what God has said for us to do in our lives. So turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, it's towards the back of the New Testament. It's going to be on page 837, if you're using one of the Bibles we provided. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul has, again, just shared God's rescue and building plan for his church. So immediately, Paul opens chapter 3, starting to pray. He says, for this reason I... Which is exactly how he began his prayer in chapter 1. It's exactly how he's about to begin this new prayer. But instead, Paul goes on a 12-verse tangent of our need to share this rescue plan with others. having shared that, he gets right back to prayer in verse 14. Read with me, starting there in chapter 3. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, put that in parentheses, pray that you being rooted and grounded in love Paul prays for strength, for strength for every person in this church. In this church he loves, this church he spent three years with. And he prays for strength for all of them. we are going to create some space this morning to pray for one person in this church. Just like we did a few weeks ago. You might remember this, at the end of chapter one. So I want you to take a moment right now and choose at least one person. Just one person, you've got to start somewhere. One person in this church to pray for. It would be wonderful, in fact, if you were here a number of weeks ago and we did this exercise before, to pray for that same person, to continue to invest in them with your prayers. If you're new with us this morning, pray for... (laughs) This is selfish. Pray for me, all right? So I'm going to share things. You're going to get to know me. It's a little selfish, but, you know, I think you use prayer, Greg. I really can but, but, but do pray, pray for someone in this church. Like Paul prays for a church, we're going to pray for a in this church. It, it's wonderful if you pray for other people. If you pray for Kathleen from Canada, it's wonderful to pray for other times. Or Nancy from New Zealand. Or Joe from Joburg. Unless you're actually praying for Joe from Joburg. This morning, Joe, are you here this morning? There he is. There's Joe from Joburg. There really is a Joe from Joburg here. But today, focus on someone in this church, if you would, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to... Preach about praying for God to strengthen that person that you have in mind. Then we'll respond by praying silently from our seats, and then we're going to intermix praise to God for listening to our prayer. So it's going to go like this this morning: preach, pray, praise; preach, pray, praise, and then we're going to close but with a preach and praise. So first this morning, uh, <laughs> pray for strength to make Christ. The resident CEO, COO, sorry. Pray for strength to make Christ the resident COO. And I'm not trying to be sort of cheekily clever here in how I'm putting this. I want to explain how I'm going to get from Paul's prayer to this modern rephrasing of letting Christ be a resident COO. Paul prays that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, right? And that's a beautiful prayer. It's beautiful. It's glorious. But what is Paul actually trying to mean, trying to say here, trying to get at? If we have to kind of break it down in a nutshell. Did most of you here see the Pixar Disney film Inside Out? Even if you didn't see it, that's okay. Most of us, even if you haven't seen it, Imagine the inside of of a person, even inside of ourselves, working something like this, what you see on the screen here. That there is a a center of operations inside every one of us in which there's a kind of control panel, right? And and, and at that control panel, there, there are different desires, different passions, different goals, different people are all vying for control on operating the human being, which is us. And because we're not as strong as we like to be, what or who is running our lives often seems to shift, doesn't it? People, different people seem to get in that seat and actually operate us from the inside out. Different parties kind of take the lead. And I believe Paul is praying about something like this for people. Even after we've trusted Jesus, just like Paul's audience had, Letting Jesus lead your life isn't something that's always natural, that we naturally just do on our own. In fact, Paul says here that it must be granted. It must be gifted. Specifically, strength needs to be granted to us. It's translated from the Greek word kratio, from which the muscle-making creatine supplement is named. Right? Some of you out there, Some of you bodybuilders, some of you guys at some age maybe try to get strong, take some creatine. That's where this comes from. And people even in Paul's time were accustomed to hearing this word strength associated with physical strength, their their outer body, their outer ability. And Paul is saying, actually, you need that that same kind of strength and power for your inner being, the inner man. That needs strength also. He continues this line of thought by saying that this needs to happen in our hearts. Paul's understanding of the human heart is just the same as the Hebrew understanding of the human heart, the understanding he grew up with, he knew from the Bible. And that is, the heart is like, it isn't just the place of emotions and feelings that we talk about on Valentine's Day and that sort of thing. The heart is the operation center for every human being. Where, where thought and feeling and intentions and the will to execute them all come together. The whole person comes together. And now we get back to this image from the movie Inside Out, right? Each aspect of the person is present, vying to make a decision through a person, and, and who will lead them, who will lead them. YMCA, YMCA K-Man, is a wonderful organization, uh, they do a great job of investing in people, especially youth on this island. Uh, the CEO of that organization here in came at is a man named Greg Smith. He, he, he takes the big picture lead on things. He's a visionary because he's the CEO. But I don't see Greg very much. Their COO, their chief operations officer or operations director, is Jillian Rafi. I see Jillian a lot because she's the one who runs the day-to-day operations, really. Right. Recently, she's been to our church twice for YMCA-related promotions to talk about what the YMCA is doing and in investing in the after-school program and that sort of thing. She shows up on site to places like Georgetown Primary and other places where those uh, programs are going on. I've seen her at the YMCA camp, at Field of Dreams, running that, helping to run that camp. I see her everywhere. In her own words, she says she, she eats, she sleeps, or sorry, she eats, she drinks, she sleeps YMCA. So people associate her with the YMCA and the YMCA often gets associated with her. Paul prays that Christ would dwell in our operations center. And doing this, he uses a unique word for dwell, which means to, to settle down. So imagine someone living, even, even sleeping, where they work such that their total familiarity with their surroundings makes it natural for them to, to lead the day-to-day operations. It's like they, they're, they're going to work and then they there's such maybe even you might think of workaholic. They have a cot with them so that they sleep there. They eat there. They breathe there. And that kind of person is the person that's like, oh, my gosh, they should run the place. They know the place better than anyone. Paul is praying for this in people. He's praying for strength to constantly invite Jesus to so settle in and become so so familiar to us that he would become the obvious person to lead our day-to-day operations, to to lead our lives. And we need strength for this. Our tendency is is to relegate Jesus to the big picture, moments of crises, kinds of decisions, right? That's when we go to Jesus. Big picture, big decisions, moments of crises, that's when we go to Jesus. That's when we need Jesus. And Paul that it's critical for Jesus to, to, <clears throat> to so reside in us, to so settle down in us that he leads our day-to-day lives. That's how this is supposed to work. So that as Jesus dwells in us richly, deeply, his movements become our movements. His responses that we see in his life, that we, that we read about in his life, become our responses to people and to situations, see? So this is what Paul is getting at, I think. And, and, and so Paul prays for strength for God's people to make Jesus their resident COO, chief of operations. So let's go and do likewise. From where you're sitting, the band's gonna come up right now. From where we're sitting, pray for that one person. I'm gonna include a few prayer prompts up here, all right, that might help you along with that prayer. And then when the time seems right, the praise team will encourage us to stand And intermix our prayers with praise for the God who hears us. So let's take time where you are to quietly pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Because we also want to pray this morning for strength to grasp the fullness of Christ's love. Read with me here. You're going to see a a little dash probably in your, in your, uh, your version of the Bible there in the middle of this prayer. And after that, Paul prays. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Awesome. And, and, and how to kind of begin to even talk, need to talk about the fullness of Christ's love. Paul begins by reminding this church, that you are already rooted and grounded in love, right? Being rooted and grounded in love. So if someone were to ask you, how do you know, how do you really know God loves you? How would you respond to that? How do you know for sure? Paul has just reminded us in the previous chapter. He's praying about it now. Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Right? It's the cross. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. This is how we know. It's not simply a feeling. It's not simply a story of ours. It's not simply... Uh, uh, something we wake up with. It is Jesus Christ crucified for us to bring us to God. That's how we know for sure. The root and foundation of love is the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, I know a church who was building a facility of their own, and they, they had spent, as they were building this church facility, they spent thousands of dollars on a soil test. And they had to do that because they were building this church over an old lake bed. And for weeks then, the, the workers were being meticulous, laying out the, the cement for the, for the footing and, the, and pouring it out and that sort of thing. And when the pastor complained to the chief architect, like, hey, man, what's, what's going on? This is taking a long time and a lot of money. He said, look, pastor, the most important part of this building is the foundation. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. And, and that pastor remarked that, that that sermon has spoke to him ever since. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. To grasp the the height and the width and the length of the love of Christ, there has to be a deep and a firm foundation. That is the cross of Jesus Christ. To know for sure that God loves us. And if that's true, then why would, as Paul said here, why would we need strength? To grasp, to reach out and, and grasp, as the NIV puts it, grasp the, the height and the width and the length and the depth of the love of Christ. Wouldn't we just want to? When we always want this love in our lives? The Apostle John wrote in his letter, First John 3, he said, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called sons of God. Behold what manner, what is the manner in which God loves us? It's interesting that that little word "manner" uh, that, that we translate is, is an adjective in the original Greek, which means something strange, something foreign from another country. In other words, the love of God is very different. It's like a foreign love. It's different from love that we would necessarily experience here on Earth. There's there's a praise song that opens with these lines: "He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane, or loves like a tidal wave." As we'll sing. <laughs> I am a tree bending beneath the wind and the weight of his mercy. Now, how does that sound to you? How does that sound to you? It it would be a foreign concept if you're only familiar with human love. How is that love, hurricanes, tidal waves bending like a tree, bending beneath wind and mercy? But, but for those of us who know God's love, who've who grasped a little bit of the height and width and depth, you get it. You understand it. Consider the Bible itself. The stories of such love in the Bible stretch our concept of love like nothing else. God asked one man to take his one and only son up a mountain to be sacrificed as an offering. Go ahead. Trust me, God says to him. Love? Is that love? All part of God's plan of love. Another of God's beloved is left for dead by his brothers, thrown into a pit, left for dead, sold as a slave, spends decades in prison for things he didn't do wrong. And at the end of it all, he says it's all part of God's loving plan. He says to his brothers, you meant this for evil. God meant it for good. He loves me. Incredible. A man after God's own heart is hunted like a beast by the king of his country. Later, he's betrayed by his children. Simultaneously, I'm also describing the father of many nations, a deliverer of his people, a king whose throne would be established forever, because the width and length and the depth and the height of God's love stretches us beyond what we see as love in our lives. Remember, Paul, he is writing this about such love from a prison cell. Would you do that? Would I do that? It stretches our understanding of God's love, doesn't it? So we need strength for sure. To grasp this, we need strength to both stomach and celebrate Christ's surpassing love. Because Christ's love will, will cause us to cry in both pain and joy. His love reveals as well as heals, and we need strength to grasp that, to take hold of that in our lives. So Paul prays for such strength, for this church to grasp the fullness of Christ's love. We're gonna go and do likewise. From where you're sitting, again, we're gonna pray for that one person. Behind me are going to be some prayer prompts for you. And in a few minutes, again, the praise team will lead us in praise to thank God for listening to our prayers. So we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That word, amen, is something that I think we've become so accustomed to saying in, in settings like this, maybe around a meal, saying prayers with our kids at the end of a night, I fear we've forgotten what we're actually saying when we say it. Is it just a ritual? Amen roughly translates, so be it. The closest experience to which I can compare it to is like a moment when you labor and articulate something you really believe in. And then you go and you present that, you submit it to uh, whether it be a parent if you're a kid or, or a professor if you're a student or a superior and you hand, you hand it over to them. As you hand over what, what you believe in so passionately, you also acknowledge, I've done what I can. It's in your hands now. It's in your hands now. And in declaring amen, we, both, we rest both in our prayer and in God's strength, And God's strength. Read with me verses 20 through 21. This is what we see Paul do. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Notice, Paul doesn't say don't ask for it. Don't act like we shouldn't ask for it. No, God delights in the asking. It's often through the asking that God does more than we think. But anyway, not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul has praised, articulated something he believes, it's God's will, that God would want to will, want to do in the lives of all these individuals, all these friends whom he loves in this church. And Paul trusts God, doesn't want his words that he's been preaching about in chapters 1 and 2 to fall on deaf ears about his rescue plan. He trusts God, wants to do something about it. He trusts God wants to strengthen these people to make Jesus richly dwell within them, settle into their hearts, become that chief operating officer in their lives. He trusts God wants to strengthen to further grasp the fullness of his love. And God loves the asking, and Paul rests in that. But he also rests in the God who is able to unfold abundantly more than we can ask, more than we can think, more than we can even imagine in our lives. Paul rests in that God, this God. This past week, I had a milestone. I received my first ever, uh, back in your day, I was sitting with a friend over lunch who asked me, back in your day, was it common for couples to get married at a young age? And it was the first, my kids have done it before, back in your day, they say things like, that's so 80s and old school, that's so old gen, things like that, first time an adult, sat across from me and said to me, back in your day, and I have to say, like, I I literally spit some of the water out of my mouth as I said that. I laughed. I don't think he knew why I was laughing, which made it even funnier, of course. Um, (laughs) So now that I've embraced this, I'm going to tell you a back-in-my-day story. Back in my day, we got basic information about subjects from all around the world through something called an encyclopedia. The last bit of that, the last two syllables, pedia, Three syllables may sound familiar from Wikipedia, but there was something before that that it's based on. At a young age, my parents put in my room something called the Encyclopedia Britannica, and their goal was to provide me the basic necessities of knowledge in life. Either that or they had nowhere else to put those encyclopedias, possibly more likely. But I like to think their goal was to provide me basic necessities. Some of my favorite articles, I would actually... (laughs) i actually read through these. I didn't have many friends. Uh, I would read through these, and my favorite articles had inserts in them. And there was a section on birds, and you'd you see the, the sort of basic structure of a bird and how it took flight, and it was super cool. And there was another one on the human body, a skeleton that names you know, all the major bones, and I loved it. So I was learning all the, all the basics of these things, and one day my mom saw me uh, looking at these inserts, and she pointed out that as I looked through them, a lot of them had seals at the end of them, like like stickered seals. And she, she actually said, you can break the seals, Ryan. So I, I broke the seals, and the insert unfolded, you know, like 8 inches out, 16 inches out, 24 inches out. It would go, it would go, it would go, front and back. And all of a sudden, my eyes were open to not only just birds and their structure, but exotic birds from all over the world, and the muscular system of the body, and the exoskeleton of the body, and my mind was opened up to all these new realities, and God is doing this, guys, in our lives all the time. He longs to grant to us and to those for whom we pray exactly what we need for salvation and for living, but he's also so strong to unfold for us far more abundantly than we imagine or we think. And that is a wonderful truth to rest in. As you pray for yourself, as you pray for someone here that you love, you can rest in the fact that you prayed but even more so in God's strength. So having done that together, having prayed, let's rest together in God's strength and celebrate the one who's able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or even think. So let's stand together and praise him again. Let's sing to him, our God.